Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Justin Berg, and it is a big Friday in Bearcat land. I've always got reservations, Berg, about doing these things on Friday, but uh, I'm becoming more of a fan now that we've gone to this kind of Thursday and then Saturday or Sunday game, Thursday, Sunday, um, because it gives us a lot to talk about from the night before. we got a lot to talk about. Uh, and maybe the biggest game of the regular season coming up on Sunday. So uh, you've won me over with the Friday podcast, Berg. Well, yeah, of course, especially a couple weeks ago when there was, you know, after the East Carolina game, we don't want to talk about any of that. <laughs> we don't want anything to do with that. Let's just let that one lie, see what happens Thursday. Then you have all that the craziness in Tulsa. So it, it worked out for sure. Uh, speaking of Sunday, we will see you. Uh, Berg, I don't think can make it this time, but I will see you at Task Brewporium, 4 p.m., Bearcats, Cougars, ESPN2 game. Uh, get some pizza, get some beer, get some wings. It's going to be an awesome time, so make sure you are there. You will want to join us for this one. We've had a lot of success with the Bearcat Journal watch parties at Taft's Brewporium, so uh, you don't want to miss it. This is going to be one you definitely don't want to miss. Uh, we did a couple of these last year unofficially at a different location as we got later in the regular season for uh, for Wichita State and then for the conference uh, tournament, and they were awesome. And we have had a great time at Taft's Brewporium. Huge space, lots of room, um, really good beer, really good beer, so you'll want to be there for that. What better to do, what better way to spend a Sunday at 4 p.m.? than having some beer with your fellow Bearcat fans and watching Cincinnati take on Houston in the Frittata Center. And uh, don't miss it. I, I, it's unfortunate you won't be able to make it this time, Berg. You've got some uh, some family plans that supersede the, the, the watch party, but it should be a great time. It's going to be a hell of a game. No doubt. Yeah, and this is, this is going to be a different – so we'll get to it, but – Houston has some traits that some of these other teams UC's played on the road um, do you know did not have, so it's going to be even tougher. All right, but first, before we get to the Cougs, let's get to last night as the Bearcats stormed back from an 11-point deficit in the second half. They used a pair of 12-nothing runs uh, to take down Memphis and Berg. There is a lot to unpack from this game, my friend. There is, and it, I was thinking last night about about three weeks ago before the South Florida game, I was sitting there having the pregame meal with Dan Horde, and he said, this is the season you're really going to see how good Mick is. Like People are really going to take notice, and it's true. This is the same team that, that couldn't beat East Carolina on the road. Now they're coming back from double-digit deficits in buildings where rare, you know, team, those teams rarely lose. But, yeah, last night it just seemed like a – in the first half that Memphis was too quick, too athletic. They blocked five of the Bearcats' shots in the first half. And it seemed like, well, UC's making these threes. Can that last? They're not able to get into the paint. Can you ever remember a time they made their first 24 points were off the three-point shot? No. I don't either. Yeah, I've, I don't watched, I've watched like six, six, 700 Bearcat games or whatever it is and definitely, definitely don't remember that ever happening. And Trayvon Scott gets it started. And he ends up, hitting, ends up hitting two of them. And then, you know, Justin, who we'll get to, was uh, was making them two. And then just 
yeah, I mean, it, it it was it was the only thing that really kept UC in the game in that first half because if they shoot, you know, if they if they end up going like four for eight or four for nine or something instead of seven for eight or eight for nine, all of a sudden now you're down double digits in the first half and Memphis has a chance to, you know, when UC goes on that scoring drought, the seven minute field goalless stretch to end the half, you could be down 15 points and then you ain't coming back. Yeah, because then it would have been out pushed out to 20 early in the second half, and it would have been quite the uphill climb. But somehow they managed to to stay just barely within striking distance. Um, and then, uh, and I'll credit Justin Williams of The Athletic for this. I did not see this. Apparently that first media timeout of the second half, there was a rather volatile huddle where everybody kind of went off on each other. And from there on out, they got their stuff together. That was right when they were down 11. They, they were at their, their biggest deficit of the game. And uh, the team responded. And respond in an impressive way. And it, uh, the first thing I'll say, they needed them at the end. But what was impressive to me, Berg, that was a total team effort to keep them in the game until Jaron Cumberland closed it out. He, he, I think he had eight points. Nine going, of the last 11. Oh, well, yeah. But okay, I, he yeah. had eight, eight points going that. in, going into the final five minutes. So this was not, they, they were on the road. Memphis was throwing the house at Jaron Cumberland. I mean, they were blitzing ball screens with two guys and another guy in the wings, kind of waiting for what Jaron would do next. And they paid the utmost attention to what J- whatever Jaron Cumberland, whatever the you know whatever they thought he was going to be able to do, they did everything possible to take it away. And the rest of the Bearcats stepped up, kept them in the game. Uh, Keith Williams, huge in the the twelve o spurt, the the second twelve o spurt, scoring seven points. Justin Jennifer played well, like you said. Uh, Logan Johnson with six points, two tip ins. In a transition layup, um, it was a, a very much a team effort. And then with the game on the line, the big dog comes out to play, scores nine of the final eleven, and, and puts Memphis on ice. Yeah, and we we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, the development of the bench, and you get contributions like you mentioned from Logan Johnson, who scores six points in the second half and some key offensive rebounds, and then Rashawn Fredericks, who was nothing to write home about offensively. Any, I don't know if any of his shots were even close. The one shot he did make, he would just put it into the basket with nobody around. But but other than that, he ends up with six rebounds and two steals. And and you mentioned four offensive rebounds. Yeah, for Rashawn. Yeah, and and Mick Mick talked about it after the game. Just he credited Fredericks with bringing that that hustle and scrap that that the team fed off of. But you mentioned how much memphis was paying attention to cumberland and that probably opened up some offensive rebounding lanes for the bearcats and that and and fredericks and logan johnson were able to take advantage of that trayvon scott keith williams had that little nice like rebound a little scoop shot on on the right side so you know the bearcats did what they do and and they they either you know if they didn't make the shot they were able to get the second chance and then and then you know what so really and i was i was watching the second half and as the as it was like, they still don't have a turnover. They still don't have a turnover. Because I, I I was saying everywhere that they needed 10 or less turnovers in this game. And they had 10 at well, halftime. They had 10 at halftime. Yeah, yeah, so you I'm got thinking, yeah, I'm thinking like, well, I guess if they just don't have any in the second half. And it was like, 50, you know, 10, 15 minutes in. I'm like, I don't, 
think they they still don't have one. They ended up not having one, and um, they controlled the tempo. That was obviously key. Like you mentioned, sixty-one possessions. I was keeping track. Actually, I was. I ended up with sixty-two, so I must have had an extra one. But, but they, you know, they, so they did that. They got they beat Memphis on the glass. And then the other thing, I, I you know, I asked for for more free throws than threes, and it, overall they didn't. But in the second half, they did. So, so they just they did what you know, they the exact formula formula that they've been using to win on the road. The Bearcats were able to in the second half do all those things. And 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 it was interesting to hear Mick after the game say that when he when they were down six at halftime, he was like, "Man, we should be getting blown out." That makes me feel pretty good. And you heard the other night that he thought they should have been up by more against SMU, and he was worried. So it's true that sometimes he says the first half score is um, – the halftime score is irrelevant, but sometimes it, it, it does tell a little bit of the story. So, well, yeah. I, I think what he's saying in that is the actual number on the board is irrelevant, um, but more the flow is what's important. Yeah, but I think like like for last night though, like you said, I mean, if, if you you look at what Memphis did to them in the first half, shooting fifty percent, you're figuring like, man, we should be down ten or twelve. Yeah, but and they started eight yeah. of ten from three. <laughs> right. So that's just that's just another example of just this team somehow finding these ways, and and this opens up a whole another discussion of you look at the last eight games, this eight game winning streak. Seven of those eight games were in question with like four or five minutes to go. So this team has now been in all these close games, and the more experience you get with that, the more belief you have, no matter what the situation is, that you're going to come back and win. And when you really look at this starting five, and I don't want to indict anybody from last year, but you look at these five guys, you got a guy from Brooklyn, you got a guy from Philly. I mean, you got Cumberland, who in in these situations, he loved, he's not scared of the big moment. You got Justin Jennifer from Baltimore, and then you have Trayvon, who's just all positive. It's just like the mindset of that unit. It 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 it, it just feels like it's gonna bode well in a, in a tight game. Now, last year's team didn't have a lot of close games to really have to deal with that. But no, they led the nation in scoring margin. Right, but, but they also had. But that also came yeah. back to haunt them. Right. So it's either way. You know, now you're you're you, the more experience you have, the more comfortable and calm you are. In these situations, even if you're, I mean, especially if you're down by double digits in the second half, twice now on the road, and you come back, so it just, it's like you know the the, the um, metamorphosis of a team, like as the season goes along, and now they just keep. That's like another box you could say that they've checked. So I want to address Fredrickson Johnson. That we Go talked ahead. about him a little bit. Um, with Eliel Sasemi out with uh, with an ankle sprain uh, that he suffered in practice. Mick obviously knew he was going to need those two guys. <clears throat> Fredericks played 17 minutes. Logan Johnson played 14 minutes. Um, I am going to be honest, and I'm sure I, when I say this, most of you will relate. I was screaming to get them off the floor in the first half. Both of them struggled mightily. Uh, Logan with back-to-back turnovers. Fredericks uh, with with poor shot selection. Uh, Both of them were overmatched early in the game. But what Mick knew was, I have to get these guys ready for the second half. Because if you you got in, you know, Brooks was in foul trouble, which without Sasemi, Brooks was going to be in foul trouble. That was inevitable. Um, You had to have them ready for the pace of that game when the game was on the line because you were going to need them on the floor. And 
while they took a little bit to get used to that, it was invaluable having them on the floor in the first half to get caught up to what the game was being, how the game was being played. Because when he put them in in the second half, they weren't nearly as uncomfortable. They weren't nearly as as in shock with how things were going, with how the game was being played. And and point being, settle down when you're on your couch early in the game. <laughs> let let the guy that's that, that that is coaching at a high level do what he does, and 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 understand. This was a different situation because you didn't have your backup center. You were going to need to – I mean, he played Logan at the four at times yesterday as an an athletic guard under size four, and then Fredericks was there at other times because they had to play Trey Scott at center because Brooks only played 19 minutes. That's 21 minutes, and you got three minutes from Diara, so 24 minutes. You had 16 minutes where you didn't have any of your centers on the floor. And they were going to have to do something different to get through this game without LEL. And that's what he had to do. And in the end, big plays down the stretch from both of those guys that if you saw how they played in the first minute, first minutes of the, 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 the first half, the, you know, when they got on the floor, you were ready to have a heart attack. Yeah. And- I, I don't know about you. I, there were several times with both of those guys in the first half Said to myself, you got to get him out. It's moving too fast for him. You got to get him out. But he forced them to adjust. They adjusted, and they were huge. Yeah, that's great coaching. And and Mick talked about this before. His The way that this team's built, the way that they play, is they try to wear the team down, and then the final 10 minutes is when they, they pounce. And it's usually it's an adjustment period with how the other team's playing them and, and dealing with runs and things like that. And then they find a way to string stops together. And get the game going at the pace they want, and that's what happened. Memphis, Memphis in the first half with those live ball turnovers, and they were hitting threes and setting up their press and things like that. They were able to get, I think they had thirty three possessions. The game was like 33, 34 possessions in the first half, which is on pace for almost seventy, which is definitely what they want. And then in the second half, it, it slowed down. And those guys getting, like you said, getting those minutes. And yeah, you looked over and you're like, wait, he's not taking them out, huh? He just made a terrible turnover. Like Rashawn caught that ball at the foul line. And jumped up. He had a wide open shot. And he tried to throw a pass, and it got picked. Like what, you know? And whoa, he's not coming out. Hmm. So yeah, it, it, that's that's a great point, and that's just that's just being a veteran coach. Yeah, and knowing that I need these guys in the final ten minutes. Us winning this game is dependent on those guys being ready to play in the final ten minutes. And he had to live through some rough patches, but let me. The, it paid off. Let me ask you this, because a friend of mine, um, I was talking to him this morning. We, we, we talk after most games, and and he was saying he thinks that maybe Coach has has mellowed out. Not I don't know if mellowed out is the right word, but he's he's he has a little more patience in in dire situations this year. I don't know if there's any credence to that or not. I don't know if you've noticed that. And maybe last year, the way the season ended, he had to rethink some things of how he handles when – Things aren't going well. I don't know. No. You don't have any – you don't believe so? I think every team requires a different mindset. Okay. I think this team requires a little bit different mindset in terms of last year because of the talent on hand and because it was all so old, 
he felt like he had to put the foot on the gas a little bit more. Right, wrong, or indifferent. And I, and I, and I know people flip out about when he got upset when Cumberland fouled out and Cumberland was talking to the officials and they caught him on camera yelling. But I've talked to a bunch of people, Berg, that say they felt like he was too calm hmm. in that Nevada run. But nobody knows that because all they have in their mind is him screaming at Jaron when Jaron fouled out. That's all they see. But there's a feel there was a feeling from some people I've talked to that he was too calm in those in those moments. I think people get too caught up in he'll get caught on camera one time yelling at somebody and 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 that'll spin the narrative that oh my god, look at him, you know, he's losing his mind. But for the most part, I, I, I don't see much difference in him from, from last year to this year. Um, I, I do think because this team is young and because there's a lot of growing pains, I think he is he, he maybe doesn't have his foot on the gas as full-time as he did last year because he was really trying to push that team over the top. Um, and each team has a different personality. This team is vastly different from that team last year. So, I mean, I get it to an extent, and I know it's perception in a lot of ways, um, but I, I don't really think he's all that much different just in terms of the intensity. I do think he's coaching a little bit different because this team needs to be coached differently than that team last year was. So okay. I, I think there's so, you know there's something to it if you want to you know you want to take something from that, but I don't think it's some drastic change like he's completely changed his coaching style from year to year. Okay, well, that was just I just wanted to bring it up because multiple people have have I know have brought it up to me, and that's and, so, like I said, dude. It, it, he because he he got caught on camera losing his mind. Everybody just said, you know, he was out of control coaching the last half of that game. But if you go back and actually watch the game, that really wasn't the case. It was one. I don't want to go back and watch that. Game. No, but it was, <laughs> and, and more than than Jaron fouling out, it was because Jaron was arguing with the officials about a clear foul, and he was yelling at Jaron to stop talking to the officials and get over to the bench. Okay. Well, so, all right. Whatever. I just want to get your thoughts on it. But but so now go to the other bench from last night, Penny Hardaway, and I was following along all of his his media availability and then what he said for the game. And he has a ton of respect. He wants to build his program just like Cincinnati. And, and he, I mean, he obviously, when he was a player, they took it to him a lot. And so he, he understands that it can be successful no matter, you know, what players you have. And I just thought it was cool to see um, a guy that paid that much homage to what the coaching staff, what Mick and his staff has built over the 13 years and, and and they asked him point blank after the game, what do you think was the issue? And he was like, toughness. He just, we don't have it, and they do. And but he but he thinks that that they're going to get it down the line. So it's like, you know, certain certain programs in this league, and you could say, I mean, Kelvin Sampson, he he's built Houston a lot like how oh they are Cincinnati clone. Yeah. So you're 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 he's like, this is what needs to be done to win this league. Well, then that's what we'll do. These are the types of players we can get. And we have to play like this. So I mean, you start, you're starting to see South Florida do it. It's Wichita State. That's yeah. That's how their program is built. Yeah, you know, you know, uh, Danny Hurley is going to start to do it too. Yeah, and and so it's it's so just to get his his thoughts on it, and he's you know, he's very candid with his thoughts. And of course, I know a lot of people were poking fun because of he thought everyone was jealous, and then now they haven't won any games since he said that. And that's that's well, he, that, hey, he's he's you know he's it's he's early on in his coaching career. He's going to learn that. 
that's not something you, you should probably say out loud well, uh, in public. <laughs> I, I just have to wonder how jealous he is of the Bearcats after falling to one win in eight tries in his career oh, against yeah. Cincinnati as a player. He's very, he very he, he's very, he admires, I mean, the, the program from back to Huggins to, to what Mick has done. He, you know, he knows this is what it's going to take. And so, you know, he's going to get all these high-ranked recruits. James Wiseman, I was watching some film on him. My God, he dunks it before you even know he, like, had the ball. Yeah, um, he's really good. Jesus, some of those, those are, like, look fake. But, um, yeah, he's going to have this talent. We'll see if he can get them to play. Like, he kept saying, like, they don't take possessions off, and that's what he's striving for. But so, so you know, they, they learned their lesson. They got to come back up here, um, at the, in a, I guess, March the 2nd. But, um yeah, I mean to go down there, they had, they only lost the the one game to Tennessee, and they've been crushing people. They've been smoking. I mean, you know, UCF and SMU by twenty plus, pretty impressive. But uh, they looked like they were on the path to do that last night, and then the Bearcats were like, "Nah, not going to happen. We'll just wear you down and not turn the ball over at all in the second half." Crazy. Um, I I want to point out something else I thought was critical. Um. Nine minutes, 41 seconds left in the game. Memphis leading 46-44. Cincinnati had been abysmal from the free throw line. Just absolutely abysmal, including Trey Scott, who had, has been a 70% shooter on the year uh, and I think was one of four, one of five at that point in time. Trey Scott goes to the line, knocks down both free throws. A couple minutes later, Keith Williams knocks down a pair. Then towards the end of the game, you start sending Cumberland to the lot. And they had a bad stretch uh, right at the end where Jaron missed one and Rashawn Fredericks missed one. But I thought Trey going to the line and knocking those two down seemed to calm everybody down at the free throw line. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and although, I thought that was yeah. critical. You're right. And Fredericks missed those two when UC was up by six. And, and, I, and then, you know, my wife, she's not really paying attention She's starting to learn as she watches games with me, and uh, she's paying, walking at her computer. But I said, you know, I said, sorry, these aren't going in because if they do, they're going to seal the game. And and I've been watching UC for thirty years. It just it's either it's either they're just going to straight out miss them, or it's going to rattle out like Pete Michael against Duke. It's just it's like you know to just salt a game away. It's a little more drama, a little more, and then maybe they'll get it. Um, Memphis. Offensively, um, obviously, Martin was incredible. Uh, 8 of 14 from 3, 9 of 19 overall. Uh, I thought it was important they didn't send him to the free throw line. He, he didn't get any free points, not that he needed them. Uh, scoring 26 on the game. But Davenport gets 12, Parks gets 11, and then really nobody else did anything. Bruton got six, Jones and Maurice got four, Thornton got one. The two freshman guards, Harris and Lomax, did not score 0 for 6 combined from the floor. Um, outside of Martin being hot, defensively, I thought they were really, really good. Yeah, that was that was something I was wondering, too, going on this trip, was is UC's defense good enough to to – because these teams can score so well at home, especially Memphis – and that was something I was curious about, and, and it didn't look like it was going to be the case through the first about 22 minutes of the game. But, yeah, I think stopping Tyler Harris was huge because that guy, he, he's been able to get going for double figures quite a bit this year, and he can he can really get hot. They just didn't give him a lot of space. 
the only thing that I would really have an issue with was a couple of the the helping too much when not necessary off of Jeremiah Martin. I, that was probably at least three times that they left him open, but there was no reason to to leave him. And a guy took one dribble, and whoever was guarding him would would shuffle off for the help. But that's just some, some more film work, and you know you you pay a lot of attention to their defense. Like it is it just it's just a it's just a habit thing that they're just so worried about guarding the two and, and cutting off drives that they sometimes they yes just, no, just get sucked in. And there's, I mean, but, but that's lack of attention to detail in the scouting report. That, yeah. That, and, and, and we've talked about this on this podcast before, like a perfect example, uh, late in the game, um, he gets one in the corner and, and I, I don't remember who it was, but Memphis drives down the lane and Keith Williams is in the corner on Jeremiah Martin. And he takes two steps towards the lane on the drive. The scouting report was blatantly, abundantly clear. I'm certain of this. Do not leave him strong side to help. The help comes from the weak side. You do not come strong side in the corner to help on a drive. What is Keith going to be able to do there on a drive? Serious question. What 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 is he going to accomplish taking two steps towards the rim on a drive down the middle. He's not going he's not getting a steal. He's not getting a weak side block shot cuz he's on the strong side. Like there's nothing to be gained from him taking those two steps towards the rim. But he does, he gets sucked in, bang, kick out to Martin, wide open three. Uh that is what drives a coach crazy and that's what gets Mick talking about scouting report defense. Yeah. And he's not, look I mean, Cumberland did it to play before when it was 46 all it was at the top of the key guy took one dribble I think it was either Harris or Bruton Cumberland was guarding Jeremiah Martin he took a step towards the foul line and Jeremiah Martin had a nice step in three I said like, what there was no reason so it's not just the young guys no that do it but it's so that if and you you want to say there's the three-point defense of course has been an issue for the team and that's been well documented but some of it is is inexperienced. Some of it is just these guys make a lot of shots. But some of it is definitely stuff that could be avoidable if you just don't help off that stuff. So there there needs to be guys that they understand who they tag, and it's just like no matter what, I don't care if a guy gets a step. So what? He's going to have to take a hard two. I'd rather do that than give this this their best shooter a step in three. Right. So that's just you know more film work, like I said. But but they overall. In the second half, I mean, Memphis wasn't able to get anything inside. They really closed off the glass for them, too. Nasir was huge getting those defensive rebounds in the second half when he was on the floor. So they just – all those things they needed to do to win the game, they did them pretty much in the second half, and then somehow they made enough threes in the first half to stay in the game. Yeah, and I, I want to say I, I, I want to commend you for turning Justin Jennifer into a 50% road three-point shooter. <laughs> You, you you pointed out that he had been bad shooting on the road. I'm assuming he read those articles. He <laughs> took it to heart. And yesterday he finishes yeah. four of nine from three at 14 points. I'm sure he reads everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's all they all do. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I yeah. want to give you credit for that. And well, he was monster in the first half to be able to keep them in the game. Yeah, he just th- – that was the one question mark from him. He was playing so well this year, up and you know through the first couple months of the season, and it was just like, yeah, but it's only been a small sample size. But on the road, he really hasn't been effective. And 
the last three games, he makes seven threes and only one turnover. And, you know, back to the what we were talking about at the beginning of this, the you know, the close game experience. You get to the last couple, three minutes, and you're up by a bucket or two, and you got you got Jennifer and Cumberland handling the ball. That's pretty good. It's like, you know, Absolutely. you foul either one of those if you want. You know, I mean, Cumberland will make them. Jennifer usually will. And you're not, it's going to be hard to take the ball from either one of those guys. And you're just going to run the shot clock down and then you know, try to make a play in the last 10. But that's – there's just all these elements to – to the the you know the formula to win a close game, you know what this team's not doing, Berg. What's that? They are not shoplifting tradition. No, they're not. Don't shoplift tradition. The shirts are out now. Go to five one three shirts dot com. Click on partners on the drop down. You'll see Bearcat Journal. That is where you can get your don't shoplift tradition shirts and uh, hoodies. And I know I, I showed them to the team. The team flipped out. They loved them. <laughs> Um, the, everybody was excited to see the design and, uh, I, I would recommend as we get down the stretch, cause this, uh, this team does buy into that philosophy, man. I, I think you're starting to see that mentality by Cronin really starting to seep into this team or they're starting to buy into, and I know I talked to a lot of them in the off season where they knew everybody thought this was going to be a, a rebuilding year. They weren't going to be good. They were going to battle, have to battle to, to get into the tournament, and there was a chance they weren't going to make it. Uh, those guys took that to heart, and, and it meant a lot to them to be in a position that they're in right now. And a lot of that is that mentality. I, I know it's a it's a catchphrase, it's a slogan, but it's for me, it's more than that. It's more than don't shoplift tradition. It's we don't want to be known as, one, the team that stops the tournament streak, and two, just, you know, to go down in history as just the other guys from Gary, Kyle, and Jake's team. And they're starting to show that. And we've got eight games left, and four of them are quad one games. There's still a lot to to prove to this team. But, I mean, you're, what, 24 games in? 20, 23 games in, whatever it is? Yeah, 20 and 3. Yeah, 23 games in, like – this team has proven something and you owe it to them to get a don't shoplift tradition shirt from five, one, three shirts.com. Not don't do it for me. Do it for them. <laughs> Show them your support by being uh, another Bearcat fan. That's not shoplifting tradition. And don't shoplift the shirts either. You can't do that because it's the internet and you have to order them, <laughs> <laughs> but go to five, one, three shirts.com drop down on partners and uh, go to Bearcat Journal. We've got the Bearcat Journal hats and hoodies and T-shirts. We've got Red Helms. We've got Don't Shoplift Tradition. There's a lot of good stuff there, and you're going to want to get your Don't Shoplift Tradition shirts uh, for the final four home games of the season. Um, hey, wait. One more thing from last night. Okay. Your boy. Deep three in the first half. Deep. With a hand, with a hand in his face. And, and fired it with confidence, and I yep. thought he was going to get that second one. I think that one he probably had just a little too much time. It looked like he he slow played that shot a little bit instead of just catch and shoot like he did on the first one. Yeah. Trevor Moore, who we're talking about, by the way. Right. Um, they don't list him with the rebound, but I felt like he was around a lot on the glass. Like it, it, he, was, he was bodying people on the glass, and he might not have been the final one to get his hands on it, but I thought, once again, he was pretty active in, in that area, uh, even though he was listed with no rebounds in 12 minutes. Yeah, he – 
he, he was in there just because he didn't actually corral one of the boards doesn't mean he wasn't affecting the rebounds going to the team wearing the black jerseys. Right. Um. All right. The Cougs. Mm. You got anything else before we get to Houston? I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready to talk about the Cougars. This one's not going to be easy, brother. They, they, they are. I don't even know that they're Cincinnati light anymore. I almost feel like now they're just a clone. Oh yeah. They, they play the exact same style. They're physical. They beat you up. They got bigs that can. It's going to be very important to know the health status of Elio Semi. Because UC is going to need him. They're not playing small against Houston will be a difficult task if that's what they have to do. And not it's not because Houston's got a bevy of you know really really good big guys, but they've got a wave of them. And having Lel will will be critical uh, <coughs> in support of Brooks. <coughs> um, but th- their strength is their guard play. Corey Davis Jr., Armani Brooks, um, Galen Robinson has has been improved in his senior season. Uh, Nate Hinton. Nate Hinton off the bench. Um, it, it just and who's the the dreadlock dude? That's a new guy. Cedric Alley Jr. Yeah. Are you t- yeah, I think he's he, a is he, he's a he's six seven. I think. Yeah, but not, not just more of like a like yeah. a like a combo forward. Right, uh, and then type guy. Yeah, and Giroux, Dijon Giroux is like a new wrinkle for them too. I'm a big Dijon Giroux guy. Yeah, you told me that. I know you like him. He, uh, uh, two names from the, well, one name heavily from the past, uh, Bryson Gresham. Is yeah, the guy. Let, let's hear that story. <laughs> <laughs> if you, if you can't some, tell it, I'll tell some of it. <laughs> I know we don't have a whole podcast. <laughs> Whatever um, you can tell. <laughs> He is a guy that UC was recruiting. Uh, they discovered some things in the, the transcript through compliance that they could no longer continue on recruiting him. Uh, but they, him and, and Dijon Giroux were both out of uh, the, the Louisiana area. This was right after they had landed Jacob Evans. Uh, so they had had a little bit of momentum in that area. Um, I think if, if things could have worked out, there's a very good chance Gresham would have ended up being a Bearcat uh, but him and Giroux were a package deal. They went to UMass. Uh, there was some concerns over their eligibility. Um, they ended up uh, – Giroux was really, really good at UMass as a freshman. Uh, and then they transferred out and landed at Houston. They sat out last year. Um, they are both making an impact this year. Giroux is, is – um, he's still a bit streaky right now. Uh, he, he doesn't have great consistency yet. But he's one of those guys that if you catch him on the right night, he's going to hit you for 15. And Gresham, kind of a, another in those wave of big guys that they've got. Um, I, 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 I talked about it to Mo on radio yesterday. I talked about it to a couple other people that they really felt UCF was going to give them a game last night. And I was like, are you kidding? There is no chance. I don't care if it's at UCF. I don't care if it's on the moon. That UCF team is is not built to compete with Houston. And sure, I mean, it ended up being, what, 11, I think. But it was 20 in the first half. Uh, and Houston was just rolling them. 
and Cincinnati's this this is probably the least uh, in terms of percentages this is probably the least winnable game on the schedule all season yeah and and here's here's one of the reasons why you look at what UC's been able to do on the road they've got what uh, four games in a row on the road that they've won and they they they're able to come back at Memphis and at Temple so Ken Palm adjusted defense Temple 88th Memphis 116th Houston 11th this that's this is a different animal you want to try to come back in a game against a team that's got basically a top 10 defense and they're at home it, it, it's it, it's not going to happen you're not going to be able to fall down by 10 12 points against them especially with the way that they bring that energy in the second half they're just not going to they're not going to allow you to get back in the game because they're just like like if you watched when Temple played down there Temple actually made a little run in the second half they got it down to I think it was it was a one possession game or somewhere around like three to five points after being down by double digits and then they just they couldn't score for like four straight minutes all they were getting were contested long twos and 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 tough threes so that's what's going to make this game even even more difficult in addition to the fact that they have three guards that can shoot the three when you consider the fact that Galen Robinson is all of a sudden able to make threes after like he was horrible yeah and I and I asked and just to I, I, I talked to my man Chris Gardner. I've, I've I've talked to him the last couple of years from the Houston Round Ball Review. If you check out the Everything's Jelly, sorry for the plug here, but I, I put the interview up just by itself today, and I'll put it in my, that's, that's my game. That's ten dollars on your paycheck. <laughs> and uh, but no, Chris Gardner's great. I mean, he just he gives you all the info. But he was saying that just obviously he was working on it hard. He changed. He, he I guess he adjusted his mentality about the fact that he just started believing he could make them. And um, he, he adjusted his form and his footwork and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, I couldn't believe it. I was looking about a month ago. He was around 40%. Yeah. Like, dude, this guy was like 15%. He wouldn't even look at the basket. No. So, so, he was so brutal. Yeah. yeah. So, you've and, got. And he's not a volume guy, but he's kind of turned himself into a Justin Jennifer in that he's exactly. able to step into those open ones and knock them down now instead of. I mean, last year, they could pass him a wide open three, and he wasn't even looking at the rim. Although, although he's on although. he's he's on a cold streak, he is two for his last twelve from three. And uh, look Gard- what you just did! Look well, what you just did! I know. Gardner said though that he's 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 back to his old hesitant ways now from three. But yeah. either way, Armani Brooks. Of six. It seems like Armani Brooks and Corey Davis go eight for eight against UC every time. Yeah. So I don't know if it's even going to matter. But if you look at Houston's D. They are number three in three-point defense and number 12 in two-point defense. They don't force a ton of turnovers, but, man, they just get up in your grill. They, they, like, they just don't let you get into a rhythm because anytime if you, if you throw it in the post, as soon as it goes to the post, there's a double team there, and you got to do something else with it. As soon as you try to run a ball screen, they blitz that ball screen and make you give the ball up. It's, just, it's hard to get any kind of a rhythm against a team where like, they don't let you throw it where you want to go. They don't let you – be comfortable when you catch the ball ever. And Corey Davis Jr. is one of the best def- you know, defensive guards in the country. And so I, I'm interested to see where what, what uh, Samson does with Cumberland. And I, I would imagine he would probably go with Corey Davis and just try to crowd him and stay in front of him. That's, I mean, well, I, I mean, if he watches tape of last night, they're going to blitz ball screens. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I, they, I, I thought Cumberland got – 
a couple beneficial calls where they blitzed that ball screen and he got a little bump and they called a foul that I thought was uh, the whistle was was in favor of Cincinnati on some of those plays. Yeah, Houston's going to do the same thing and I, I, even I, harder I, though. Yeah, but and they're going to come after him and they're going to do everything they can to get the ball out of his hands. And you're going to need your boy, Keith Williams, to be much more of a factor early in the game. Right. Yeah. You the last. Yeah. yeah. You can't have him wait until the second half to turn things on in this game. He is going to have to take some heat off of Jaron Cumberland because I, it, you can bet your life Houston is coming after Cumberland with everything they got from minute one. Right. Yeah. They just, they really. Their their um and their intensity on defense never wavers. It's from the first play through the end of the game, and that's you know that's the Cincinnati trait. Like you said, they're a clone of Cincinnati, so they have very very quick guards that can stay in front. They've got this six five Deshaun Giroux guy who can be a change of pace on offense, and it's really hard to stay in front of him. Although Gardner said he'll he'll over penetrate. He goes off one foot a lot. Yeah, he's a little wild. Yeah, a little wild. You can you can draw some charges on him. And then, um, you know, they're big guys from what Gardner said is that they, they, none of them have really been that consistent. But, uh, but Breon Brady. Yeah, by the way, okay, here, here, out of everything from this from this road trip, I was thinking about this a couple of days ago. And, and I'm sure the UC coaching staff is all over this. When Breon Brady catches the ball, whoever is guarding him should act like his left shoulder is his chest. Like just I don't care if you give up a right-handed, like, one-foot shot right in front of the rim. Do not let him get to his stupid left hand for that hook. I, I, I've watched multiple games this year of Houston, and it's like these, these guys like just do not understand this guy's left-handed. Please, if he get, just do not let him get that left-handed hook shot off at all, Bearcats. I'm sure you're all listening to this intently. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, and, and we've talked about that. Like it, It's part of why Kyle was so difficult. Yeah. Teams just aren't used to left-handed big men. Like It's just not – you just don't hardly ever see it. So it's very difficult. Now, fortunately, UC's got a guy in Nizir Brooks and, and even Ellie, to, to a lesser extent, that have had to defend Kyle when he was here. Good point. So, you know, maybe you go back into that well and say, hey, this is like kind of like playing Kyle. You cannot let him get to that right shoulder. You cannot get him, let him get to that left-hand hook. Yeah, um, that's that should, be the top, that should be at the top of the scouting report and – I mean, he, he has, I've not seen him do anything else to score the ball other than that the entire time he's been in existence on Houston. Next subject. I mean, you're, you're the, you're the expert here. You're the, you're the Houston, the Houston expert. You, you tell me next subject. What else do you have on the kooks? Well, the rebounding is going to be really hard. They just, they're so quick and athletic at, at their, at their big spots. Um, the guards help out. So, you know, if, if UC is expecting to go down there and out-rebound them, I don't know if that can happen or not. But uh, they, they actually have not been that consistent on the offensive end this year. They're, they're what are they, in the 40s on offense? They, like they're, they're, they, they tend to be bad in the first half from what I see. They are, yeah. They just um, – th- but they take care of the ball. Yeah, I mean they're you know they're they're hard to turn over and they're they're in the top fifty in both offensive and defensive rebounding percentage. So like I said, it's just it's going to be hard to get any of the you know it's going to be a it's going to be a trench warfare deal. 
And, you know, UC's ready for that. They're down for that. That's, you know, you throw, throw Sean Fredericks in there. He's ready for that. And throw Trevor Moore in there. He's, you know, he's from H-Town. You know, he, he's seen the candy paint dripping down there. He, he knows what's going on. He's seen the trunks pop. I, I, I will say this. They bought themselves a little wiggle room last night. Yeah. No. I mean, it takes so much pressure off it uh, off because, of Sunday. Let's be honest. This was a, a season-defining trip in that it could have gone one of three ways. The worst way is out of the mix, and that's losing both. Because they were right around projected a seven seed or so. If you lose at Memphis, you lose at Houston. Now, granted, they're both quad one losses. It would have been potentially quad one losses. But then you start sliding back towards the bubble. And that's not where you want. That's not the direction you want to go in. Worst case scenario now, they split this road trip and they stay about where they're at. Yeah, and they have a chance to avenge the loss at the end of the season. Yeah, and best case scenario, you win both games, you get two quad one wins on the road. Stamp it. And all of a sudden, you're looking towards a five, of maybe a protected seed at a four. Mm. Uh, I'm just saying if you finish strong, but you're yeah. pushing in yeah. that direction. Right. As opposed to sliding, you're surging. Um so, last night was massive, oh my, my God. friend. Yeah. Massive. The, you look at – it's hard to decide which the Temple game or this game last night was was bigger. I guess in the moment, last night's was. They're both equally huge. Now that they've won – they're four and one on the road in, in conference play with, what, four to go or three? Uh, four. Let's see, UCF – oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, four to go. Okay, so four and one. UCF, UConn, Houston, yeah. and so now they have yeah they have there's an outside chance they could go six and three on the road, and if they go six and three on the road, I mean that's 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 really hard to do. You, they showed the graphic last night that you know home teams in the AAC are, are their winning percentage is, is crazy. It was like forty and fifteen. Although yeah. all three all three road teams won last night, including uh, my boys South Florida. I, I that's the team. You talk about Memphis is scary in the in the conference tournament because it's on their home floor. I would not want to see South Florida from anybody. But that's for maybe, another. Discussion. Maybe we'll get South Florida Memphis. Yeah, I would. I would love to see that. Maybe we'll get South Florida Memphis. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So it's like you said. So last night, huge to take some of the pressure off of Sunday. Now you just, you know, hey, go down there and say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna leave it all out here on the floor and win or lose, you know, we'll be proud of our effort. That's all. You, that's all you got to really say. The only thing I don't like in Mick Cronin's career, he has not been he is he has struggled as a as a head coach in the second game of an extended road trip. And he doesn't like it. He doesn't like having the team on the road for four days. Oh wait, um, so they they actually just go right they, on to Houston? They don't come back? They they stayed in Memphis last night and they headed to Houston today. Oh, and this is not a trip where they are returning home. Mm, okay. So we'll see if that plays a factor. Uh, I, I, with this team, though, I, I'm not as concerned about it. This team is really close. So I think this is a team that's going to lock in on this road trip. And it's not like they're going, you know, a lot of times those trips are, are to Florida. You know, when you, when you get the UCF, USF doubleheader and you just stay down there. 
and you know maybe the guy's minds start to wonder a little bit being on the beach for a day or two. Um, you're going to Houston, which I mean the weather will be probably nicer there than it is here since we had a 50 degree temperature drop overnight. Um, but you're not in that that situation, you know, where you're sun and fun in Florida. Uh, you're you're going to Houston and, and playing the number one team uh, in the conference in terms of you know. They're ranked higher than Cincinnati. They're, they're obviously this game is going yeah. to be uh, for first place, and and if Cincinnati gets them there, then you get Senior Day uh, to close the season at Fifth Third Arena. You would have to like the Bearcats' chances of of getting a second AAC title. Um, There's not going to be yeah. Sorry, if, go ahead. if you lose this game. I think Houston. If you look at their schedule, uh, their schedule is much more favorable down the stretch. Cincinnati definitely got the defending champion schedule. Yeah, but um, guess who? Guess who? Houston plays at UC doesn't. South Florida <laughs> at already, Houston, but so what? They already played them at USF and smacked them. Yeah, right? that's okay. I, I mean, I, I I don't think LaQuincy Rido cares about that. I think he's he'll be ready to go when the game's No, I'm just saying I, I know, would feel I better if that game was no. at the, if they had already played at Houston and they had a trip to South Florida. I know. I'm just gassing up South Florida way too much, but but <laughs> I don't think there's going to be any lack of motivation on either side in this game on Sunday. Uh, both teams have. Uh, I mean, you got the defending champs um, on Houston's circled on their calendar, and then you know Houston's the higher ranked team. UC's definitely trying to prove that they can beat to be the only team to to win at the Fertitta Center. Uh, um, I don't because I don't think anyone else is going to win there. This is really the last chance anybody has to to pick one up there. Otherwise, no, they'll mean, be undefeated. Here's what they've got the rest of the way at UConn. Jalen Adams is probably still going to be out. He sprained his MCL. Uh, Ooh. So, and Altariq Gilbert is is has missed the past couple games with a bad shoulder. Um, I can't imagine Houston losing at UConn. Nah. At Tulane. Nah. <laughs> USF Unless Kevin Jong. You never know. USF at home. At ECU. So that's four, they're four pretty certain wins in their next four games. And then they close with UCF at home, SMU at home, and then at Cincinnati. Yeah, thank. Yeah, I don't think they're going to lose at home. That uh, is Central very Florida much does. advantage UConn down there, advantage Houston down the stretch. Yeah, no doubt. So that's why. So if if UC wants to win this regular season, they're going to have to win on Sunday because yeah. UC definitely has a chance to slip up. They still have to go to UCF. You never know at SMU. I mean, obviously, they're they're a tough matchup for UC. So there's definitely some 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 roadblocks or pitfalls along the way for UC well, more yeah, more more so than Houston. Here's here's what UC's got down the stretch. After Houston, they've got Wichita State at home, UCF at home, at UConn, at SMU, Memphis at home, UCF on the road, Houston at home. That is a million times tougher. Just for the fact that Houston's got Tulane and ECU. Hey, ECU. You want to go to Greenville? You never know. <laughs> Houston yeah, will probably beat them eighty-five to thirty-six. Yeah, that ugh. don't even get me started. I know, but you know what? Hey, I think you know, that's just one of those things that the, uh, every team needs to, to to hit rock bottom at some point, or most teams do, and then you—that's when you learn the most about what you need to do. 
So yeah, I, would, I wouldn't followed. trade that. I wouldn't trade that East Carolina loss, really, to be honest. At this point, no. I mean, they followed that with winning, winning a bunch of tough games. That I think you know that that East Carolina loss left a bad taste in their mouth and down the stretch of those games where they said we're not we're not going out like that. Um, but uh, so, the, basically, what I'm saying is the remaining schedule sets up much more favorably for Houston. So if Cincinnati is going to win the American Conference for a second year in a row, it would behoove them to walk out of Houston with a win on Sunday. And how can they do that? That's the question. How can they do that? It's the same formula. I don't, but it's, I don't it, know. Yeah, because, <laughs> well, the, 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 the one good thing is that Houston is not a high defense, like on defense, they're not a high turnover forcing team. Yeah. So, you, so you, you know, you should be able to hang in that, that 8 to 12 turnover range. Um, in that in that one, but the problem is is that they, they you just don't get comfortable looks against them. And if you think you're getting anything in the paint, I mean they got dudes coming everywhere to, to swat you. So it, it, it's you're going to have to make some jump shots. Now, hey, you see, just showed last night at FedEx Forum that they can make some jump shots on the road, but they're going that's going to need to travel for another few days uh, down to the city of Syrup because that that team. Like I said, with Temple, the only way Temple was going to come back and beat them down there was to just hit a bunch of jumpers because that's all they were getting. Yeah. And UC does not have guys who can roast you off the dribble, and even if they and even if they do, you're you're going into traffic where they got guys that can that can reject it, return to sender all over the place. So UC is going to need. I mean, they're going to have to get their their A plus defensive effort, and they're going to have to to you know make sure that Corey Davis and Armani Brooks don't combine for like eight or nine threes and somehow keep them off the offensive glass, which is really tough. So Nasir Brooks is going to have to stay on the floor because he's, he can really be a huge factor on the defensive backboard. And I don't know. So somehow try to hang in the game just like they've been doing and, and somehow be within a couple possessions when it comes to the 10 minute mark in the second half and then take your chances. Berg's prediction brought to you by Trace Pound Task Coffee, freshly roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans has the roast date printed clearly on it so you know your coffee is absolutely fresh. How do you get it? You go to www.tracepoundtas.com slash coffee. That's T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. All coffee orders are roasted fresh and shipped out immediately. There are 12-ounce bags in both whole bean and ground. You can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roast. Or now you can even get K-cups of Trace Poundtas coffee. On the website, you sign up for your subscription. You get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. When you sign up for a subscription, enter Bearcats at checkout, and you will save 20% off every bag and get free shipping. www.tracepoundtas.com slash coffee to get your subscription today you like that i sponsored your prediction wow you're really putting the pressure on me to actually make and me do it that's exactly why i did it yeah i could tell now, one second into you doing that now <laughs> the family the coffee the, the coffee that my family fights over is the sponsor of berg's prediction of bearcats and cougars because i know if i didn't put that sponsorship in front of your prediction you were going to try not to make one and now, Trace Pountas is relying on Berg to predict the game. Justin Berg, 
make your prediction. Wait, you, you picked Temple, didn't you? I did. Okay, you might have to pick Houston. Well, I already was going to pick Houston because of the Good. defense. I just don't see how UC gets enough points against a top 10 defense on the road. And I don't know that UC's defense is good enough to hold Houston to under 60, which is probably what it will take in that one. But <clears throat> I've been wrong before, but that is my prediction. Unfortunately, the Bearcats head home with a split, which is not really that unfortunate because when the road trip started, I think a lot of people would have taken that. Yeah, so. I mean, it's, it's two quad one games. If you can go 500, if you can split the two quad one games, you know, you're 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 holding steady. Yeah, I just you're don't. Not, you're not yeah. surging, you're holding steady. Yeah, I just can't see enough jump shots going down for Cincinnati in this one against that kind of that kind of you know defense and, and what they do to the, the post and ball screens and stuff like that. It just It's hard for me to imagine Cincinnati shooting well enough to win that one from the outside. Berg, there's one thing you haven't factored. Trevor Moore? No. <laughs> Come on. One team has Jaron Cumberland, and the other team doesn't. That's and in right. crunch time, Jaron Cumberland has been a monster. And I think you're right. I think you do have to hold Houston to under 60 points to win. And I think the Bearcats do it. Mm. 58-57, Jaron Cumberland hits a shot at the buzzer, and the Bearcats escape Houston in first place in the American Conference. And everybody at the Brew Porium gets free pizza and beer for the next two hours. <laughs> <laughs> the scene at Taft's Brew Porium will be bananas if Cincinnati manages to pull this one out. It is going to be huge. Uh, it is going to be probably the last time this year that Cincinnati is an underdog at tip-off. Um, and it is going to be a chance to, one, take control of the conference, and two, see yourself surging in the uh, bracket process as uh, the, the Cougars are going to be announced, I would assume. I have to imagine. They're doing the top 16 bracket reveal on Sunday. Uh Sunday morning or Sunday early afternoon. I have to think Houston is a top four seed right now. Yeah, probably a three. Uh, eh, three or four. One way or the other. I can't yeah, they, imagine them yeah, they not don't have being. Any, yeah, they know, don't have any, like, magnificent wins. I mean, LSU was a big one. Yeah, I was at home, though. But it was at home, and, and you know, that's not going to really move the needle when you're competing with some of the other resumes. Uh, I don't know. The, the interesting thing is, what gets them to a three is probably beating Cincinnati uh, shortly after the the selection sh- or the, the the selection preview show. You know, yeah, and you know, actually, Houston's most impressive win in Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> he's Justin Berg. I'm Chad Brindle. Thanks for tuning in. It's the BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com.